Bring it in. Read option back here. Recording Thursday, June 9th. Happy 6-9 day. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, I honestly just realized that when I looked down at the corner of my computer and saw 6-9. I was like, that's funny. That's funny. Got to uh-huh. <laughs> make the middle school joke whenever it comes up. Um, no veto today. Uh, I got some stuff going on a little later on. So we had to record a little bit earlier, but uh, lots to talk about. Game three of the NBA Finals was last night. Uh, it was a good game, at least. The second half was compelling. Third quarter Warriors strike again, but the fourth quarter Celtics reared their ugly head once again. So lots of stuff to talk to you about that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Deshaun Watson situation as that seems to be picking up steam. Just kind of some of the reports, the article that was released by the New York Times and um, just how kind of damning this is getting here for, uh, for Deshaun Watson and the Cleveland Browns. More stuff on the Live Golf Tournament as they uh, officially started started their first tournament this week, as well as our top five beers. And not just like brands of beers, we're talking about like contextual beers. Uh, so that'll be fun. Scotty's here. Scotty, how are you, buddy? Uh, How's everything in your neck of the woods? Um, well, next above water, so can't complain. That wow. is true. And we're, we're <laughs> playing golf as the read option tomorrow. We are. I'm, I'm very excited course. for that. Yeah. I'm very excited for, uh, maybe we'll, we'll film a little bit of it and post it on social. Well, uh, I have to say not to, this. I, I'm excited for this, but this one, I'm not going to say this one does. This one doesn't count as the bet. Like you oh, and no, I, are, I, yeah, but, but yeah. we will get some social clips out there. Uh, we'll see how we all fare. Uh, should be a fun round of golf uh, and just lots going on. Busy week. Uh, I just feel like this whole week has flown by. It's crazy. It's already Friday. So uh, one thing after another. Uh, but, yeah, so Vito's coming down to Virginia. He's driving down from New Jersey to, uh, tomorrow morning. I got work in the morning. Scotty, you're sneaking out and playing a little hooky from work. What? I'm not. What? No. Oh, sorry. I don't know if anybody from your work listens to this podcast. Scotty's going to be sick tomorrow. And uh, Scotty. In the back will, half of the day. Yeah, just in the back half. <laughs> Um, but no, it should be, uh, should be a fun day. We're looking forward to that. And, uh, like I said before, we got lots to talk about in the sports world. So let's dive in the NBA finals game three, Scotty, how you feeling? Um, I, I feel okay. You know, okay. I, I, I try to rationalize it with, uh, this is a best of seven series for a reason. Although the numbers show, uh, if you win game three uh, of a one, one series that that team, that winner uh, wins the series 50% of the time. Uh, I think uh, when we, when we talk about previewing game four uh, and game five is where the, the criticality really hits because you can either uh, draw even again and go back home or be down three, one and uh, statistics also show that if you're a three, one in a series, you win 95% of the time. Um, so don't want to be the Warriors uh, down 3-1. Um, but, hey, it was a good game. I mean, probably the most competitive, right? We talked about in, in game one, Boston made everything, and it was just they dominated from front to back, um, except, well, even including the third quarter because they built so much of a lead at that point. Um, and then game two, it was all Warriors. Uh, 
so game three, it was kind of, it was really back and forth. I mean, the, the Celtics dominated the first quarter as we saw. Uh, and then th- Clay finally got going, but nobody else could shoot the ball. Uh, nobody was playing defense, including Clay uh, on, on the Warriors. Or, uh, and, you know, what, what annoys me, though, and I don't want to be the blame the refs guy. I'm not going to do that, even though Scott Foster was there. I'm not going to do that. But it, it did annoy me that uh, Boston could play aggressively on both ends of the floor and get away with stuff. I mean, Jalen Brown walks 17 times down the floor every time, but you know, that happens in the NBA and then he's grabbing everybody by the shoulder to, to make blocks. It's ridiculous. Um, they're playing with a hobbled Robert Williams, the third, who's just like absolutely leaving it all out there. So kudos to him. Um, but the Celtics were allowed to play aggressively on their home floor, but, uh, when the Warriors tried to, they were getting called for fouls. So, uh, you know, Take it as it is. It's a home game. You know, I'm I'm glad I'm not there. I was telling my buddies I was trying to go to game four uh, this weekend, but um, I'm glad I didn't because I was getting annoyed through the TV hearing Boston fans, and I probably would have ended the night in somewhere less favorable than a hotel room uh, or my own bed. So, yeah, <laughs> well, I think, you know what I'm going to say about the officiating thing. I, yeah. And I don't, that's that, why I prefaced it because like, I don't want to be two, that guy. Yeah. Because in game two, the Warriors got so many calls yeah and, and nine calls it, it, and yeah and you know and i'll say this even as well like i noticed some bad calls like that went in boston's favor in that game no question um but it, it's so much more than that i mean draymond green with i think one of the worst games i've ever seen him play sure uh on both and, ends and the i don't know and he's a guy who you don't typically say like oh the crowd kind of rattled him and i don't necessarily think that the crowd rattled him um but he, yeah, by the way, real classy Boston. Uh, it was it was funny. I, I I got a good laugh out of it. Fuck Draymond. That was a funny chant. Or was it fuck you, Draymond? Yeah. How, how many how many rings do any of the players on the Celtics have? Yeah. Um, Draymond's shit, got. I don't three. think any. Shout I don't out. think any of them had one. Um, yep. But nonetheless, Draymond was absolutely awful. Uh, Clay Thompson. This is what I was talking about before. He he can't play defense. He cannot be your number one perimeter defender, defensive player right now. He just can't. And I think the, the the concerning part about this is what we talked about on Tuesday's pod, which is that we knew there was going to be a game where Clay Thompson started pouring it in. And that was last night. But to what you said, nobody else stepped up. Nobody else on the, on the Warriors stepped up. Except Andrew, Steph in the third. <laughs> well, and Steph is always going to do that, right? Like Steph is always going to be there. But I heard Richard Jefferson recently break it down in a really simple way, like, Every, like you have to win four games in the NBA Finals, and chances are each one of those four wins is going to look very, very different. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Golden State had a lead at one point in this game and essentially blew it right back in the fourth quarter, that is what concerns you about this team, right? And it never became huge, but 11 points in the fourth quarter. Jordan Poole was a no-show. Andrew Wiggins looked completely shocked by the entire moment. And I I think there's a lot of concern surrounding this Golden State Warriors team. However, if there's one thing I was anticipating, and I said this on Tuesday's pod, is I thought Boston would win game three, the first game on their home court. They haven't lost back-to-back playoff games all year, like Vito pointed out on Tuesday, right? So I wasn't totally shocked by the outcome. I think the fact that Golden State has such a tremendous advantage in the third quarter is really, really big for them. 
because it means that you know that in the third quarter they're going to essentially get themselves in, it's, into yeah. every single game. Well, when we were down 12 at halftime, I was like, cool, <laughs> that's fine. And they made that little run at the end of the first half too, where yeah. they got kind of back into contention. And then I think they cut it down to seven at one point in the first half. And then Boston did a good job of answering back. Boston didn't play particularly well, but this is the worst game that Golden State has played as a team all postseason. And outside, especially outside, defensively. Outside of the game where they lost by like 50 to Memphis, well, yeah. which even still they pulled their starters after, you know, that they, they weren't super locked in on that series, I think we can all say. So as, as a whole, the, there are things to take from this game that scare the shit out of you as a Warriors fan, I'm sure. And as somebody who like objectively, if I was a Warriors fan, I would also be worried about. However, following this game, and following this series as a whole and knowing Steve Kerr and knowing that team and the backbone, that team's not afraid. That team will not be afraid to come back and win game four. And I think they will come back and win game four. I think I, I would expect that to be a close game, but I think Golden State has a bounce back game because I don't think Andrew Wiggins, who hasn't had back-to-back bad games this whole postseason, for as much as I've, I've kind of used him as an example of like, are we sure Golden State's there when you're relying on Andrew Wiggins? They've been able to rely on Andrew Wiggins. He's been really good. And I think he's going to have a bounce back game. I think Jordan Poole is always going to be dangerous. The fear is that you might have wasted the clay game, right? And that might have been, as Richard Jefferson pointed out, one of those games that you have to win, right? And the fact that somehow, and if you look at it from the reverse side, Boston won during the clay game. And that's a huge check mark in, in the series. I do expect the series to still go back and forth. And I think the fact that Golden State still is dominating the third quarter, that Boston has not figured out a way to slow them down in the third quarter is huge. And I think so much of that is just the makeup and the chemistry of this team being good when they step on the court in the third I, quarter. I, I agree. And, but it, it still has to. And I don't ever want to question Steve Kerr. He's he's one of the best coaches I've ever seen, not only as a leader, but in in cerebrally as a, as a coach. I, I don't understand though, some of the rotations. I mean, at one point we had Steph clay, Jordan Poole, and our biggest man on the floor was Otto Porter. Yeah. And we were playing small when Al Horford and Robert Williams are both still out there on the floor for the Celtics. The other is how can you get in a nut cut in time? Nine minutes left in the fourth quarter in a, in a two possession game and Steph and clay are not on the floor at the same time. I, I, I could not for the life of me understand that. And it's, it's little stuff like that where he tries to get cute with, with some of the things that he's throwing out there, particularly in response to, to what uh, Boston has on the floor. Um, that's, that's the kind of, of stuff that irks me. But uh, he's but one the of the best time, at adjustments though, too. But, so. but at the same time, like if that small ball lineup works, we're calling him a genius. Sure. So it's like, sure. and not to mention, they've built this whole dynasty on the back of doing that. Uh, on the and because Draymond was in foul trouble and then inevitably fouled out and was terrible, he said, "All right, well, we're gonna try our luck with Otto Porter Jr., who at least is gonna be able to shoot the ball and at least is a threat from three, and we're gonna try to get ourselves back in this game." Um, I, and I'm with you on the clay stuff. You know, I think I think at that point in the fourth quarter, they're playing so terribly that it was kind of like a let's try something here. Because that's where the experience of, and I forget who it was. I don't know if it was Kirk Goldsbury I was listening to, or, or no, it was Jeff Van Gundy um, on Zach Lowe's podcast. But his point was, I think Boston's going to come out and look really good in the first three games. But I think after those first three games 
is when they're starting to get tired. It's when their back's going to be up against the ball. They have a 2-1 series so lead, so the pressure is turning more on them. And that's where the inexperience matters. And if Adoka is as good of a coach as we all think he is, he'll be able to get them in a position where that's not going to affect them. But we've seen Boston blow series leads already in this postseason. They've just come through in one game seven. They were down, was it 3-2 to Milwaukee, won the last two. They were down, uh, or at least, you know, blew a series lead against Miami. And Miami was able to, you know, they were up 3-1 or 3-2, right? And the Miami Miami wins back-to-back games. 3-2. 3-2, same thing, right? So in both the Eastern Conference semis and the Eastern Conference finals, Boston blew a 3-2 lead in the series and ultimately had to go win a game seven. And to their credit, they did. But that was also Milwaukee without Chris Middleton, which they almost lost that game. And it was Miami, which they had a 13-point lead with three minutes left and still almost blew that game. And so for as good as Boston has been and has looked so far, I think Golden State's history, the experience, and as well the as – depth even that we have now. The depth, currently. the shooting, and just all of that. I think I think that was a moment where Steve Kerr went like, you know what, we're probably not going to win this game. I'm going to put more shooting out there, and if we get back into it, great. If not, you know, Draymond doesn't have it tonight. He's, he's a complete non-factor. And he was bad in game one, and then what did he do in game two, right? Completely – changed the way that that game felt the energy behind it the actual basketball game itself on the defensive end of the court and i would expect something similar here in game four so i i like golden state to win game four but at the same time you got to give credit where credit's due right i mean jalen brown 17 points in the first quarter that's good he was he was phenomenal um and, and typically for a guy like him who's been really streaky he has held the ship pretty consistently through three games so far. I mean, I, yeah. he's leading the team in scoring through the first um, – only by two points, but he's leading the Celtics in scoring through the first three games. But when you look at the series stats, and I was I was on basketball reference doing a little, like, prep for the pod. If you look at how this team's shooting the ball from three, uh, Al Horford shooting 70% from three. Now it's unlimited, you know, reps, but he's still shooting 70%. Yeah, <laughs> Derek White is shooting 47% from three. He's a pest. Jason I mean, Tatum he's an shooting absolute pest. Yeah. And defensively, and he even got benched at the end of that game yeah. in game three, too. Um, <laughs> well, he's Jason, in foul trouble, too. <laughs> yeah. Jason Tatum shooting 43 and a half percent, 43.5%. Uh, Peyton Pritchard shooting 43%. Marcus Smart shooting 41%. Jalen Brown shooting 36%. And then Grant Williams, who was really bad in Golden State is still shooting 36% because he played really well uh, this past week you know, in game three. So, it's oh, he's, he's so annoying. But that's the thing. It's like if Boston, and we said this after game one, if Al Horford is going to be shooting that lights out from three, if Peyton Pritchard, if you know uh, Daniel Tyson, Derek White, and all these guys, plus Tatum and the limited threes he's been taking, if those guys are going to shoot the ball that well, as well as Jason Tatum has 25 assists in this series – and has just flat out been, you know, he's averaging almost 10 assists a game. I mean, his ability to distribute, he had a, he had a, a cross court pass. He was driving down the rights uh, in the right lane and just whipped the ball to the opposite corner. I think it was Grant Williams for a wide open mm-hmm. three, or it was Peyton Pritchard for a wide open three. And then he, he drills it. Like when, when he's seeing the floor like that, because he's such a factor shooting the basketball and scoring the basketball, he makes it incredibly tough on you because then he does the pull up threes and the fadeaway threes and works guys in the post. And I think part of it, too, is like game two, Golden State did a really good job. They put Gary Payton on, on Jason Tatum, right? 
And it was clear that it kind of rattled him. But you could see throughout the game that Tatum was slowly starting to figure it out. He was starting he was to realize that he's like, yeah. And, and, and Gary Payton, he's like, look, I'm bigger than you. I can just get up above you. I can get a clean look and you're not going to be able to contest it. And, you know, even though he's, you know, he's averaging about 20, I think was it 65 points in the game uh, in the uh, series so far. Um, I'm pulling up. Yeah. Yeah. He's got 66 points in the series. So he's averaging 22 a game. Jalen Brown has 68, but Marcus Smart's got 44. They're just, they've just been really well balanced. And if there's one thing I would anticipate here and would be cautious if I was a Celtics fans to just hold up on raising the banner so far, it's that I don't think they're going to get this balanced scoring attack for the course of the entire series. I think at some point, Derek White, Horford, Grant going Williams, to be a 40, Richard, point game there. Yeah. There's going to be some games in there where those guys just aren't po- putting the ball in the basket. Yeah. And that's when guys like you hope at least Clay, Steph, obviously continue to go off because Steph, ironically enough, is having his best NBA finals he's ever had. Right. <laughs> um, and then the, the other thing too, that the, the Celtics did really well uh, better than they have uh, in the entire series is rebound. Like they dominated us on the boards. And we talked about it uh, last week uh, when we were talking about the, the NBA finals, the Warriors absolutely dominated on the offensive and defensive glass. This was the first game where we actually absolutely got worked on, on, on both offensive and defensive rebound. And, and, and like I said, Robert Williams was a huge part of that. Uh, and, and then they also got some lucky bounces. I mean, there were some long ones that just found Peyton Pritchard's hands or, uh, or, or Grant Williams' hands, and all of a sudden where it's a putback. Um, but, you know, that, that kind of stuff happens in a game. But uh, there was no fight uh, on the glass from the Warriors at all. And it was odd because we had the whole postseason have, have done so well on that, in that phase of the game. Well, and I think that's an underrated part of what's made the Warriors so good over the years, too, is the fact that even when they have played small lineups, they've still done really well on the glass. Uh, we talked about this on Tuesday's pod, right? The offensive rebounding rate or percentage um, in the first two games, Golden State had like a five percentage, you know, better, you know, offensive rebounding rate in this game. The offensive rebound percentage for Golden State was 15.8, 15.8. The offensive rebounding percentage for the Celtics, 37.5. More than double. That's than, insane. Than what the, <laughs> the Warriors were doing. And the other part here was turnovers. Boston did, for the first time, the series protected the ball, right? 10.8% well, turnover percentage. Not in, Golden in, the, State. in the second and third quarter. <laughs> True, but, but it's, overall for the course of the game, 10.8% turnover percentage for Boston, 15.9% for Golden State, right? So mm-hmm. some of those metrics that we were talking about, like, hey, these are encouraging signs for why Golden State has a really good chance to win this series. Um, they got completely flipped in this series. To the point where now, if you look at the series numbers, Boston has a 5% lead on uh, offensive rebounding rate and is actually the more efficient team in terms of turnovers. They're 0.2% better at, at turning the ball over. And I think part of this, you can chalk it up, is this is this was Golden State's like worst game, where Steph played well, Clay was able to score, but was a complete non-factor defensively, and even still was forcing up a lot of shots in the first half, and then he finally started getting going, started to get going. And everyone else on the team was pretty abysmal. Um, I mean, who, who was the third best player in this game? For the Warriors? Yeah. Uh... 
<laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a far walk to the to the third best. So I'm gonna say it was probably Otto Porter, if I'm being honest. And even Just, Otto Porter, you know, in 21 minutes, did not have a great game. <laughs> but he, yeah, he's efficient. Yeah, but I mean, but that's he, he was efficient. But that that was that was about it. You know, what do you have like 10 points? You know, I, I don't yeah. even think he had 10. Um, but again, if if you're relying on Otto Porter Jr. to be your third best player, that's a problem. Gary Payton Jr. only played 11 minutes in this game. And he, he was a guy that, good. yeah, no, he didn't. And he had a wide open three at one point that he just, just right at the top it. of the key. And then <laughs> instead forced a bad pass that then got turned into a turnover. Um, I, I think Jordan this, Poole, I'm tired of Jordan Poole playing ISO ball. Like enough. Well, right? and Work off of screens. That's what we do. <laughs> he's one of those guys too, where it's like, that's kind of what he does, you know? Um, and, and it's weird, right? Because Golden State's still playing these small ball lineups, and, and I get the frustration of it. But that is ultimately – like Robert Williams and that game versus how he looked at the end of game two looked like two completely different people. I don't know yeah. what they shot in his legs. I don't know what they injected him with. But he looked like a completely <laughs> he different player. <laughs> um, and he was jumping over guys clean, like over the back rebounds, but like clean where he just was that much yeah. more athletic. And the, the and floater of steps higher. that he blocked. <laughs> yeah. And Bielitsa too. I mean, he had four yeah. blocks in this game, but each one of those was like a statement block. Yeah. Like, uh, like I said, I don't think this is the, I don't think this is going to be the uh, worst. Or I think this is going to be the worst game that Golden State plays in the series. I hope and, so, buddy. I really do. <laughs> and I think as the series goes on, Boston's played back-to-back seven-game series, right? I do think eventually, and and they're still banged up. Like, all it's going to take is one or two, one little bang here, one little bump there, and it's going to be a completely different game, right? And I, I still don't, as, as good as Horford has been, um, and, and Horford played really well in this game, he only had 11 points, but he had 11 points, eight rebounds, and six assists. He's like sprinting up the floor. And his plus minus had to be ridiculous because he was not on the floor at all in the third quarter. He was plus seven, so it wasn't anything <laughs> oh. <laughs> crazy. Um, but this is also like, all right, Marcus Smart had an amazing game, right? Um, and Al Horford banged in two threes, and it's like, all right, yeah, like if, when, when he's doing that, you know, that's – or sorry, he went one of two. He took two threes. But when he's doing that, Robert Williams plus 21 on the floor. But again, 10 rebounds, eight points, four blocks, three steals. Part of that is the Golden State turned the ball over. We've mentioned before they've been top five or bottom five of the league when it comes to turnovers through every single one of their championship runs uh, and every one of these like prime Steph years. So turning the ball over for them is not uncommon. The thing with Boston and the inconsistencies, which we've mentioned before as well, is that when they do have a game when they, they take care of the ball, they're basically impossible to beat because defensively they are so fucking good. And they still have guys like Tatum and Brown. And if, when, when they get off to the start that they did, I, I don't know what you do there when they're not turning the ball over. They're not giving you opportunities to go back and, and be careless with it, which is, you know, we, you can sit there and say like, like I did, like, oh yeah, like it's always, you know, they've always done this. It's fine. But like when you zoom in on this series, like, no, like you, you can't turn the ball over against this team. You have to protect the ball a little bit better than what you did at least. Uh, yeah. And I would expect to, Kevon Looney only played 20 minutes in this game. He's got to play more than that. Um, sorry, not even. He played 16-49 in this game. And I think they've realized that too, right? Like, all right, we tried to go small. If Draymond's not if Draymond's not in the game or not playing well, you have to put Looney in. 
And then you also have to either, whether it's Jordan pool or Otto Porter jr. Or some other score, you should do that. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if they put in like Moses Moody at some point in this game, because he's at yeah. least between he, he and Kaminga though. Kaminga definitely has the higher, the higher ceiling between the two. Moses Moody has looked comfortable at, at certain points in the playoffs and he guarded Luca. <laughs> so at some point, you know, don't let Steph get into foul trouble like he did last night. Don't let Draymond get into foul trouble like he did last yeah. night. You know, at, at some point, and, give Draymond a spell and throw the young kid at him and just, you know, bother the shit out of it. And I think Steve Kerr is going to have something up his sleeve. I'm just not sure what it is yet. Yeah, I, I do, too. I just I, I need I need three. Well, I need more than three things uh, for the Warriors to be successful because all of it has to hit. But I need. Steph out there for and the foul trouble did a lot for this. I need Steph out there for 45 to 48 minutes. I need Clay out there for a good 40 to 45 of those. Uh, and I need Jordan Poole to stop playing ISO. <laughs> I'm so tired of watching him play ISO ball. I mean, they they kind of use him in a obviously like no one is Steph, right? So saying like, oh, they're using him like the would you Steph when Steph's on the bench. Um I think the threat of Jordan Poole being able to make those shots a lot and being able to get to the rack because he's very good at being able to get to the rim and he's still a really good shooter off the dribble. Um, I think that's a way that they're trying to mimic some of how the rest of their offense works, right? Where they're trying to poise this threat. I think Jordan Poole's problem is I think he forces it and I think he's still young and he, he hasn't, he doesn't have the experience that Steph has, you know, like if like think about like uh, when, when, the first time in 2016 or 2015 when Golden State played Cleveland and like Matthew Delavadova was just running around and causing all sorts of fits yeah. for Steph. God. If this version of Steph was playing against Matthew Delavadova, that he would be cooking Matthew Delavadova, right? Because he just has so much more in his bag. He has so much more experience and so much more he can do. But Jordan Poole is kind of in that like 2015, like Steph in terms of like, understanding and like how versatile his game is and the little moves and little tricks they can use. Uh, I still think this game, this series is going seven. The one thing though, I don't know if golden state can beat Boston two games in a row. And that's at this point, it might've just been whoever won game one is going to win the series. Now, of course that's going to be game seven in golden state. If it gets to that point. And more importantly, they have to win game four. Because if they go down 3-1, then the series is over. Um, uh, well, yeah. uh, mostly, according to the stats. It's 90%. Exactly. So, you know, well, and even so, it's only happened once in the NBA Finals, and the Warriors know damn well how that, how that went. So yep. <laughs> it, it's, it's nice, at least, that I felt both teams didn't play well yesterday. And there was still a, a big pushback from Golden State in the third quarter. The whole thing still kind of was close until later on in the fourth when Boston just kind of took the game over. But there was a point in the third quarter there where you're like, this is anybody's game and whoever wants it. And it feels like all three of these games so far have at least had that moment, whether it was at halftime or at some point in the third quarter where you're like, this is anybody's game and it's going to be who wants to go out and take it. And I think that's a good thing, even though we haven't really had any close games in the fourth quarter. The games have been closer than what most of the box scores and stuff would tell you. Yeah. Do you think so? Cause I don't, I don't think that we've seen the best of both teams. And uh, I, I do think we've seen the worst of both teams. Uh, but do you think we've had the, uh, the, the moment yet where a team has figured it out? 
or one team has figured out the other. I don't think I, I don't think we've had a figuring out moment because I don't think either if we're just being honest, I don't think either of these teams on on the surface are like teams I think of as like, yeah, this is an NBA finals championship, the championship caliber team right now. But we're here, and this is what this is kind of where we're at. I had a similar feeling last year, but at least with Giannis and Middleton and Holiday, at least felt a little bit different. Yeah, you know, we have an, an unproven team who has never been to this stage before. Who has has been the best team in the NBA since you know what uh, for the last six months, the last six, seventy games. Yeah, and then you have the old heads who have been there and done that, but are not the same as what we remember them as. So. In a lot of ways, it reminds me a little bit of like the San Antonio and Miami Heat series back in, you know, uh, when LeBron and, and D Wade and Chris Bosch were there the first time they went, got to the finals and they got worked by uh, the San Antonio Spurs. Now, this obviously this series is a lot closer, but the experience and everything in the system that San Antonio ran ultimately prevailed over the young, unproven talent. And I still think there's a really good chance that that ends up happening in this series where the pressure immediately the second year up two one like the pressure i think slides even though there is a lot of pressure on golden state right in a weird way there's like um there's a desperation that golden state will be playing with that boston won't be able to match plus that's boston's, a must win right boston's gonna be yeah it's well, it's absolutely a must win but boston's also gonna be coming from the perspective of like all right like we're up a game we're Step good. We just got to keep, we got to just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to go out and win. And that's typically when teams will start to get a little lackadaisical with stuff. And so I think it's very likely in game four that we see Golden State win that game, go back to Golden State, you know, tied up at two games apiece. Uh, and and oh, as a fan, like, I hope that happens because I think that's, a, I think that makes for the ultimately the best uh, content as NBA fans. Right. As people who want That's a good, good series. My heart too, Jeff. <laughs> but Boston has just been this weird, inconsistent team outside of the four games against Brooklyn, which they still almost remember. They arguably could have, if not should have lost game one against Brooklyn. Right. Like there's a very good chance that, you know, if they don't figure out their shit. Right. If, if Jason Tatum misses that layup, that Kevin Durant wins that. But outside of that one series and, and how we saw Boston look. In the, at the end of the regular season, Boston's been super you know inconsistent over the last month, going back to the Milwaukee uh, series and then the Miami series, and neither one of those teams has the pedigree that that Golden State has. You know, yeah, Milwaukee won a title, but they were missing their second best player and their best you know just straight up shot maker in in Chris Middleton, and Giannis was a fucking superhero in that series. And then you had this Heat culture, tenacious defense, you know, team that had just been to the finals a couple of years ago in Miami. And they were still able to, you know, get out of it, but it, it took a lot out of them. And they, in both of those series, they hit that wall of like, all right, we have an opportunity here. We're good. Just got to do our thing. And the more aggressive team ended up coming out on top. So the question is, will Golden State be rewarded for continually to be that aggressive team? Or has Boston learned from those mistakes that we saw in the first parts of these playoffs and ultimately blow what could be a game that would theoretically ice this series? So I'm excited. I think it's going to be a really good game. And I think the nature of this series and just the overall feeling of it, it feels like it's just going to go back and forth. Um, and Golden State's going to have a really, really good opportunity going back home in Golden State to win that game. Uh, because then a game six, if it gets to that point in Boston, would be a really, really hard place to win uh, to, to continue the series and to push to the seven games. But 
Boston also blew that game to Milwaukee, and they also blew that game to Miami. So at this point, I just – anyone's guess is as good as mine. I'm just going off of the, like, when in doubt, expect the unexpected, you know, and I'm expecting just more of the same, which is that I don't really know. I don't know what version of Boston we're going to get on. What, when do they play? Saturday night? Uh, Friday, tomorrow. Friday. Tomorrow night. So tonight, tonight, by the time you're listening, listening to this, to this. yeah, um, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting. Uh, any other thoughts here? Any other things we didn't bring up from game three uh, uh, in regards to the NBA finals? No, no. I think, you know, you nailed it with the experience. At, and at this point, it's like you don't need to get too cute if you're Golden State, even down a game. Just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you've got the shooters. You've got the talent. You've got the experience. So uh, leverage that. It'd be interesting if the roles were, were reversed and Golden State had won game one, lost game two, won game three, right? Because I think that's something Golden State, like that whole idea of like that like letdown game right after a big win, like, I don't think Golden State has – I, I think they're less susceptible to that because of their experience, because they've gone through it, and because they recognize the opportunity. Just like I feel better about Golden State winning game four than I would if it was reversed in Boston winning a game four. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's going to be interesting. Or Boston comes yeah. out, wins by 40, and the series is over, which would I'm be a fit. tired of staying up so late, man. I, not oh, that right. I want the series to end. But I just, it's, I have it's to keep, I have to keep going to bed at halftime and then rewatching the game the next day. Oh, like Jesus. I'm, I'm waking up at four 30 every day yeah. and I'm like, I can't, I get literally, I'm falling asleep at like nine, like, like the game started <laughs> and I was already in bed and I was able to stay up until the end of the first half. And I was like, figure it out. And I have to go to Come sleep. On. <laughs> no, they, they have to, man. They see, and we started talking about this the other day, but I do want to bring this point up real quick before we take a break. I, we, what do you want them to do? There's a, there's a whole country. We got four different time zones in this country. If you include mountain time, which like, I guess people do, but like we had at some point, like the, the same thing with national championships starting at nine o'clock and college football and Eight o'clock. Madness. that would have been fine. People are still working in the West coast. People are still doing stuff. We just a Monday, like a Monday national championship in college Make football. Up the hours on a Friday. I they're mean, already yeah. watching it at six o'clock. There's nothing, there's literally nothing they can do. It's but that's why watching sports on the East Coast, we're the ones that get screwed more than any other time zone. I would so much rather wake up at nine o'clock and have college football and then wake up at 10 and have, you know, the NFL on Saturday and Sundays than, you know, deal wait with. until yeah, then wait until one eight, o'clock. 8:30 for Monday night football. Yeah. Yeah. That's what are we doing? All right. Maybe we just gotta we should just move back to the West Coast, Scott. Or you move back and I'll come uh. with you. Well, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to touch on uh, the Deshaun Watson situation, a little bit more of the Saudi Golf League, and our top five beers all coming up next. All right, so we've, we've touched on the Deshaun Watson situation a few times on the pod. Um, as a whole, it's not stuff that we like to get into, right? We're not legal experts. There's other places you can go to get more – accurate or um i don't want to say that we're ever inaccurate but you know what i mean like just higher caliber law experts who talk legal, on this yeah legal experts thank you and at the same time sometimes a story is big enough where you just kind of 
you can't really ignore it. Like, you just kind of have to talk about it. And I think you and I both felt the same way about this, where I asked yeah. you, I was like, I was like elephant in the room. I was like, yeah, I was like, do you want to talk about Deshaun Watson today? And you were like, not really. And I was like, yeah, me neither. But I kind of feel like we have to. And that's kind of where we're at right now with with what's going on. So if you didn't see, there was an article released in the New York Times um, by a, a very well-renowned journalist um, who in particular works in legal fields. Uh, I believe she's written stories on, on uh, Colin Kaepernick and his legal battle, as well as the Ray Rice situation years ago. So she's been around the block, not only in law cases, but with the NFL in particular. Um, essentially, what came out of this was we know about the 22 accusers that has now grown to 23 and 24 that have signed on to this lawsuit. Um, this uh, journalist found shocking that there are more. <laughs> this journalist then found an additional four therapists uh, and masseuses who had the same claims, but chose not to pursue any charges or sue. Uh, who detailed the exact same allegations that have been going, coming up in the trial. Um, as well as, and I found this one, this number particularly staggering, 66 different massage companies that Deshaun Watson had reached out to over his time in Houston. Um, the evidence is, is piling up to an insane level on this. Um, and another important note here is that this was from the New York Times. Now, when it comes to legal matters, when it comes to stuff like the Dan Snyder situation, when that all came out a year ago, right? The two big publications at the NFL, I don't want to say like get shook by, or, you know, at least it kind of rattles their cages a little bit. That might be the best way I can say it. But the ones that typically have their finger on the pulse the most accurately when it comes to this are the New York Times and the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. Washington Post did the Daniel Snyder one. Uh, Colin Kaepernick was in the New York Times. Uh, countless other examples over over the years when anything bad is associated with the nfl and there's legal issues going on and one of those two publications is involved that's typically where the nfl ends up leaning as of now some of the people at the new york times and and other spots expect this penalty to be harsh and very severe when it comes to deshaun watson uh one in particular going as far to say is it likely will be a lifetime ban with the chance to appeal, which is pretty stunning uh, when you think about the NFL and how it's, uh, you know, kind of drug its feet over the years. But I would also say the evidence at this point is pretty damning. And if he loses this case, which, you know, his lawyer is basically stooping down to the whole concept of like, oh, a happy ending technically isn't illegal when you go to a massage parlor. Like when that's your best argument now, you know that you're kind of grasping at straws here. And I don't think there's a chance in hell we see Deshaun Watson play this year. But what's even more stunning to me, and there's two examples of this, is A, the Cleveland Browns and the lack of due diligence on their part, the lack of the clear, it just- Oh, no, to lie about it. Well, to, to say they lied that you about did investigating, then, yeah. But just yeah. the complete <laughs> ignorance and and- active ignorance where they they willingly chose not to do an investigation and then did lie about it but that shows you one thing about andrew barry the gm and the ownership there the haslams and how that team is currently functioning and how desperate they were to even take a chance there and give this guy 230 million dollars fully guaranteed um that says a lot about the cleveland browns as an organization um but also 
I'm amazed at how much Deshaun Watson is digging his heels into this, right? At some point, dude, your only option now, and it really feels like we're at this point, is to just accept it, pay whatever you're going to lose in the lawsuit, go away from the NFL for a year, take the suspension, appeal it for after a year, go get treatment, and go on an insane apology tour, right? Mm-hmm. And somebody on Twitter put this really well, and it says, we are naturally a forgiving country, right? We tend to do that with people. We build people up so we can tear them down so they can build themselves back up again. Uh, to a fault, um, I would argue. I would agree. And even in a case like this, I would make the case that do we ever, do we even really want to forgive Deshaun Watson? Do we want to give him the privilege of playing in the NFL again? I personally don't feel comfortable saying that. I don't think I, yeah. I would do that. However, I'm one voice. I'm one person. And we know how stars and celebrities and everyone are able to get past shit in this country for better or for worse, which again, I would say for worse. If he did the apology tour, the, I went to treatment, I did all this. Eventually he probably would get another opportunity, but the fact that he's so willfully choosing not to and digging his heels in harder and harder when the case is mounting up worse and worse and worse and worse against him, I don't know if he, if it's maybe it's going to be too little too late. If he's going to fight this to the very end and then go, all right, yeah, sorry guys. I guess I, I did do all that horrible stuff that they were accusing me of. Yeah, you got um, me. <laughs> like he needs to own this shit if he wants to salvage any part of his career or and, let alone just any part of his name and his reputation as a human. 100%. Being. And because he's not in control of any of it right now. And, no. and that's not to say that he, he needs to be or should be because you know, with the, the mounting evidence, you, I, I've made very well known on this podcast how I feel about that and, and the, the pattern uh, that this probably will eventually lead to. I'm not here for that argument. You've heard that argument from me before. Um, but what I will tell you is that you need to, for better or worse, own your mistake and, and make it right. Uh, this, this is so much more than beyond uh, beyond football and beyond your career anymore. We're talking about lives that have been affected, not the least of which is now your own, uh, if you're Deshaun Watson. So, you know, own it, okay? And, and the, the sooner you own it, this is what, like parents tell kids all the time. They're like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed that you didn't own up to the mistake and, and take the punishment and move on. Like, yeah, I'm not mad about what you did. I'm mad that you lied about right, it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and and think about this too. Like if he was as, as selfish and as shitty a person possible, right? And the only objective for him right now is solely just to make sure he's able to play in the NFL again and salvage his career, which is essentially what we're saying here, right? If, that, yeah. <laughs> if, if we're assuming that he is an absolute garbage person, he doesn't give a shit about the trial. He just wants to be able to go and play football and make his money then the best option for you to be a selfish, shitty person is to do this, is to own up now, to have got in front of it six months ago, you know, a year ago. And on this pod, when all of this first came out, you know, back in what was December or January, early, it was December 2020, January 2021. When this all came out and it was early in the days of the podcast, my stance on it was like, I don't know enough now to comment on, you know, and and when in doubt, I typically will side with the victim. You know, but especially when it's a civil case and we're not talking criminal, but in the legal system, you know, innocent until proven guilty, all that stuff. I get it. But 
I do tend yeah, to side enough law and order. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like in a civil case, I definitely tend to lean more towards the victim um, because it's it's a whole different set of circumstances. But I feel like now I feel comfortable enough being like, you're kind of fucked here, dude. Not only is your reputation shit, you know, and, and look, he didn't kill anybody. But as you put it, he affected and changed many women's lives. And at first it was like, all right, this is weird. There's this many people coming out and nothing had ever come out before me. He had this sparkling reputation as a person. And that was kind of like, and then there was stuff with the lawyer of for, representing these women's were tied to the owner of the team. And that was right around the contract disputes and the trade request. And it was just really weird and muddied. And I didn't know, like, hey, is this something, some insider information that the owner had about Deshaun Watson that he then fed to his lawyer buddy and then said, hey, all right, you, you're not going to play for us. You're going to hold out here, right? Which we can say all we want doesn't happen. But if that is something that happened, it wouldn't shock me either, right? Mm-hmm. But either way, the stuff that Deshaun Watson allegedly did seems pretty fucking clear that he did this. And if the 23 women at first weren't enough to convince you, adding another to the lawsuit, adding the 66, uh, the, the four additional women that were added off the record who didn't sue, and then the 66 different massage parlors that he reached out to to book massages over the last, you know, his first career, first part of his career in Houston, the evidence is just completely mounted up at this point. And I don't, I don't see a way that he gets out of this. I just don't see it. Yeah, neither do I. Um, what, un- what percentage? Unless... Well, even if he does do that, right? Because if he does, yeah. then the answer to my next question, we all already know. But if he continues to fight it, what percentage of this NFL season does he play? If he continues zero. to fight it. I think zero. because The NFL at this point has their hands tied, right? There was a, a path for him. I think this year where the NFL is going to be like, well, we don't have all the evidence yet. Uh, We're going to let the the trial play out. And don't they have the, there it's like a third party investigation now it's not uh, right. So, so let that play out and see what, what evidence comes from that. And even then that'll take long. So here's nine games and then, you know, play the rest of the season. Uh, And and then we'll figure it out from there. This is pretty damning. And, And I think the NFL now has their hands tied to the point where they can't let him play i almost want to say especially if you're going to blackball like colin kaepernick for what he did but to to that effect like yeah like this is a way more egregious offense on it wasn't even an offense with colin kaepernick exactly yes so uh, so i think that the nfl has their hands tied and they would have to almost suspend him for the season at this point and what does it say too about us as a country that the owners were willing to blackball Colin Kaepernick because he was going to lose them money for doing what they did. That's why he was blackballed. Not because he yeah, did anything wrong, but because he was going to lose them 100%. money. And yet a, a different NFL team would be willing to shell out $230 million guaranteed for a guy who is more than likely going to be suspended for at least this entire season. And yeah, but realistically may there's at least there's a chance realistically may never play in the NFL again. Yeah. Yeah. Or if he does, it's not even have to honor that contract. <laughs> So like at this point, I think he's fucked either way. I think if he digs his heels in more, there's a 0% chance of him playing this year, or at least a 0.00001 chance. And if he comes out and apologizes and accepts the settlement and does everything now, I still think there's a 0.00001% that he plays this year anyway. And so regardless, you're not playing this year, dude, which they knew, which is why they made his contract for this season $1 million, which we said at the time was the slimiest, most disgusting thing. It means Uh, the Browns knew that he wasn't going to fucking play this year. 
means that we all knew that that right so then if you knew you were going to play this year why didn't you fucking own it why didn't you own it immediately when it happened say that this is what it was going to be go on the apology tour go get treatment go become an activist if you and this again this is assuming deshaun watson's the biggest piece of shit ever and that this is the only thing he cares about the hope is that he genuinely wants to go all do that stuff because he recognizes he has a problem and did horrible things to people and wants to make everything better and make it right and better himself which at this point i think we've seen enough of deshaun watson's true colors to know that that's yeah. just not the case <laughs> i i think that candle's about burned out <laughs> man it's crazy it's fucking crazy yeah and it's just, just, just be, just stop being dicks. Why are people just, just don't be a dick. It's mm-hmm. so easy. Listen to Bo Burnham's from it. God's perspective. <laughs> just go listen to that. Watch that video on YouTube and just don't be a fucking dick. You know, God damn it. And again, you know how they say it takes more muscles. You know, how they say it takes more muscles to frown than to smile. <laughs> it, it takes more effort to be a dick than it does to be kind to people. Very true. And also, I loved Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk posted a picture of Deshaun Watson at camp, and his dick looks super small. Like, crazy small. You secretly hope that's part of the testimony, that the women are like, yeah, not great. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. All right. Um, (laughs) The other sports-related thing here before we take our last break, um, and we talked about this last week, but uh, there's some more news about the Live Golf um, League, the Saudi Golf League. They teed off on their first tournament today, which is Thursday, June 9th. And uh, there's been mixed reviews. Like, diehard golf fans have seemingly enjoyed the broadcast and stuff. It's been good. Um, but the more important news was that yesterday, um, or sorry, earlier today, the PGA Tour suspended all of the players who are taking part in the first uh, Live Golf tournament. So that full list. Sergio Garcia, Taylor Gooch, Brendan Grace, Dustin Johnson, Matt Jones, Martin Keimer, Graham McDowell, Phil Mickelson, Kevin Na, Andy Ogletree, Louis Oosthuizen, uh, Ian Poulter, Charles Schwartzel, Hudson Swafford, Lee Westwood, and a couple of guys that no one else fucking knows. Um, and in addition to that list, it's been reported that probably the two most hated people on the PGA Tour have also agreed to deals with the Saudi golf league. Oh, Bryson tell me DeSh- Patrick Reed went Patrick Reed and Bryson DeShamba. Oh, good. So, uh, to the they, both of you. they're not playing in this first tournament, but they have reported yesterday morning. They will both be joining the Saudi league at some point, which means God. they too will be suspended. Now we went into a lot of the morality stuff with all of this before, and that's not necessarily where I'm trying to go here. Um, but some of the quotes from the players who were at this big cheesy fucking event that looked like if a wannabe like upstart company in Silicon Valley, like put together, you know, a thing and, and, and they had like weird fire and like everything was backlit, but it was all black. It just, it looked fucking weird. Mickelson showed up for the first time publicly in months after his comments with a beard. He looked like he's been coked out of his mind. He admitted recently to all of his insane gambling debts, the $40 million reportedly that he was in debt for gambling. Uh, Dustin Johnson was there. And just seeing him there, like the light switch changed my brain where I was just kind of like, yeah, dude, I just don't really out, think dude. I'd fuck with you anymore. Yeah. I did think Justin Thomas, I don't know if you saw this uh, that was going around um, on Twitter, Justin Thomas's comments, which were like, look, everybody has the right to their own decisions, right? Everyone has the right to do what they want to do with their life. And some people do it for different reasons. Um, 
he said, you know, I don't hate DJ anymore. He's, he's like, he's or not anymore. He's like, I don't hate DJ. It's not, it's not that I dislike him now. He's like, but I'm just really disappointed. I'm, I'm really disappointed. I'm bummed that, that he ultimately made this decision, but he has the right to do that. And he also made a good point too, which is that we're in a world now where if you see someone say something that you disagree with, it's like a green light for you to be allowed to hate that person. Sure. Yeah. And I thought that was a really good point because we do jump to that too quickly oftentimes, yeah. especially with social media and everything else. Um, however, the people who are participating in this Saudi event and what bothers me is just more, more of how ignorant they sound when, and when they come across with some of the stuff, um, you know, somebody asked Phil Mickelson about the PGA tour. His response was uh, any PGA tour matters. I'm not going to discuss it publicly at this time. All right, Phil, you're a coward once again. Uh, the one that really pissed me off was Ian Poulter, and I'm going to read the full quote here. Uh, when asked if he would fight the PGA Tour suspension, he said, of course I'm going to appeal it. It makes no sense. I've always had the ability to play golf all around the world. What's wrong with that? I haven't done anything wrong. How many which ways do you want to cut that? I've done, uh, I don't know how many different events I've played around the world on different circuits. I've played the Asia tour, the Japanese tour. I've played in China in South Africa. I've played everywhere. The game of golf that I love, they're going to take that opportunity away. That's disappointing. Um, just a complete lack of, of any sort of empathy, understanding, and, and really just truly ignorance on his part. (laughs) Um, look, dude, like, I get it. Golf's amazing. Golf's my favorite thing in the world. If I could be a pro golfer and play golf for my living every single day, I would love it. If I could do that on the PGA tour and make millions and do that, I would do that in a heartbeat. I, I would do whatever Even it took. Six figures would be great. <laughs> yeah. I, I I'd go on the corn Ferry tour. If, if I could, if I could, man, <laughs> like I'd rather do that grind than anything else. I'm not good enough golfer to do that. So I can't the, de- the level of delusion that some of these guys are at right now, the guys who chose to go there and the way that they are just scrambling in circles over and over and over again to try and justify this when all it was, was a giant paycheck and not even getting into the political ramifications and, and it kind of everything that is involved there with the Saudis and, and everything else, the ability to say, I haven't done anything wrong. Right. It's like, no, dude, you, you fundamentally did, right? Like somebody else on tour, I forget who it was um, that was in this press conference said, you know, we're independent. I firmly believe that we're independent contractors and that we should be allowed to go play in any circuit you want. It's like, yeah, you can. That's what you did. If a wrestler, and this has been a longstanding di- uh, dispute with the WWE because the WWE for a long time was a long lasting monopoly because they were the only show in town back in the seventies and the sixties. And even in the eighties, when it was WWF, there were other wrestling leagues who had TV contracts, who, who traveled like almost like a circuit uh, circus and would go around to a bunch of different events. Oh, what was the other one that like Goldberg was in? Yeah. So like they, they had, they were considered independent contractors. Now it's like all elite wrestling too. Well, so that's the example I was going to say, right. Which is like, if you're an independent contractor, you have the right to go play for any league. That doesn't mean that you have the right to go back and perform at another league. The the team that's hot, the league that's hiring you, the W like you could take, I don't know. I don't know any famous wrestlers right now, but like if the undertaker who I know is retired, but if he wanted to go fight in uh, all elite wrestling, you think Vince McMahon is letting him come back to the WWE? Hell fucking no. Chris Jericho is the perfect example of this. He was a longtime WWE wrestler, 
retired because oh, the WWE we're doing a little wrestling talk on the on the, the pod. Oh, all right, the WWE treats the wrestlers like shit. So then he went, and when AEW was founded, he joined AEW and is one of the faces of that of that franchise for a justifiable reason, right? Because he didn't like the way that the WWE was treating their you know wrestlers. If all elite wrestling was funded by Saudi blood money, they would be getting pushed back too. And even if it wasn't, even if it's just like because it's the Khan family, the same people who own the Jaguars that own all elite wrestling. Even if it's just them, Vince McMahon is still not letting you back on the tour. The, right. the, the league that is independently contracting you has the right not to sign you back, has the right to suspend you and to say you're not allowed to participate in our events. You can't show up to WrestleMania when you've been in all elite wrestling. And that's before you even factor in yeah. all of the Saudi blood money and everything else that's involved with this. It wasn't part of it, like the the statement from from the PGA that like they didn't go through the procedure to go play on a different tourist event. Um, well, and, some, and that's part of the problem. Like if we're making this independent contractor argument, like if you don't go through the procedure with the tour you're on, it's like if if Mike Trout went to Rob Manfred and said, "Hey, my team sucks right now. Can I go like play for two weeks as a gimmick in the in the Japanese league and then come back?" Like, sure. <laughs> Well, right? and that, but you got to go through the procedure a, of all that, that happens a lot. So, so some did right. And some even resigned like Kevin Na and Dustin Johnson, like resigned from the PGA tour in hopes that they would avoid the suspension. Right. Um, there is some sort of a procedure. Yes. But even still like guys like Tommy Fleetwood, like the, um, the British or yeah, the British masters, right. That they have every single year. There's an Australian masters. They, they have all of these big events and majors in other tours where guys who are regulars on the PGA Tour go and play at, right? Um, the, the Canadian Open this week, right? That's not a yeah. PGA event, uh, but you are allowed to go and do that. Uh, that is different than what this is, right? Um, the PGA Tour has every single right to say, no, we're just not having you back. You're suspended, right? And ultimately, it shows a lot of ignorance as to just how the whole concept of independent contractors work. Right. And, and again, if you didn't want to play for that league, they have every single right to be like, all right, cool. You're not coming back then. No worries. If you're an independent contractor at any place, the, the threshold in which you're allowed, like they can fire you with is significantly lower than a, than a, a full-time employee. And that goes for any, literally any independent contractor, the radio hosts I work with, you know, when they want to fire a radio host on Sirius XM, they just fart. They're like, yeah, we just don't think you're doing enough good job. They're technically independent contractors at, at SiriusXM, right? They're part-time employees. And there's no sort of arbitrators, none of it. No, it's just, oh, you're done. Thanks thanks for the years of service. And I, I, it just boggles my mind that these guys are so defiantly ignorant in this and are just looking for any straw to grab onto to make themselves feel like, no, what I did isn't just for money. And I thought Rory summed it up best when he was asked about it before the Canadian Open yesterday, which was his thing was he's had and he used, you know, personal experience as well, but basically said mm. in my life, this. Yeah. when I, from what I've gone through, when you make a decision solely based on money, the majority of the time, it doesn't quite work out for you. Is it nice to have money? Is it nice to have that stuff? Sure. But in terms of happiness, in terms of fulfillment and all the other things that we're looking for in life it's probably not going to fulfill you the way that you think it's going to. And I think that's kind of where we're at here, which is that 
the Saudi league is going to have a bunch of buzz for this first tournament that, that they have right now. They, the field is still dog shit. The team names are terrible. Oh God, they're awful. And if you look at the actual business model of what this is, there isn't a business model. There's no TV contract with anyone in the United States. You have to stream it online. There's, so there's no way to just like turn on and do it. I, I know. I think there, I think there's like a website that you can stream it on. So it's like, there's no business plan in place. It's just some of the richest people in the world who got their money through nefarious and awful ways paying people because they just want golfers to play in their event. And all these people took the bait. And the majority of them are people who are never going to win on tour again. But you look at a guy like DJ or Taylor Gooch who have won on tour in the last couple of years. I mean, hell, even he Phil, Phil won the PGA yeah. Championship a year ago, <laughs> right? So you can't never say never. It's just the whole thing is really disappointing. And I think there's going to be buzz around this league for this first event. And then the U.S. Opens next weekend. And everyone's just going to pay attention to the PGA Tour. And it's just, hell, it's the XFL all over again, right? It was fun. It was shocking. It was cool. It was different. You know, a piece of shit was running it in Vince McMahon. And now the XFL, where are we on? XFL 4.0? 3 3.0? To me, this is just an absolute bummer. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how the majors decide here too, because if, if it's truly, they, it's, if it's truly an open and they stand by that rule, then all these guys will be allowed to play. But if they step up and say, no, as we talked about last week, then I don't think we're going to hear much more from the Saudi golf league. And they burned those bridges. Like those bridges are burned. Is that at a tournament level or at uh, an association level, I guess, uh, would be similar to tournament or is it the the particular course even could be like nope you're not playing here um that's a good question i don't know the answer to it my guess is it's it, there it, you know the masters like usga can be like hey uh yeah phil go go to hell <laughs> i i do believe that they have the right to do that yeah the masters could do the same thing and that's gonna be interesting next year right because there's three yeah. masters four masters champions who play on this tour Charles Schwartzel, Sergio, Dustin Johnson, and Phil Mickelson. So next year we're getting ready for the Masters. Yeah, wow. I, I don't know. Be allowed at the uh, at the dinner. <laughs> and even if you are, I mean, it's gonna be an awkward fucking dinner. Because I guarantee, I, I, yes, there are guys like DJ who are close to like Justin Thomas and Colin Morikawa, and they're they're all in the t- you know even I mean JT's titleist, but like you know Justin Johnson's been one of the face of TaylorMade for you know five six years now, right? You know, and what's what's gonna happen? You know with all that, like he's still going to have some buddies, but like, is anyone going to give a shit when Patrick Reed shows Matt, shit, There's a fifth one, Patrick Reed too. So like when Masters, Patrick yeah. Reed goes to the master's dinner, people don't like him already. And now you're going to add this yeah, thing yes. on it. Like they just, if anything, they've made themselves like, it, there's just an awkwardness amongst them. And I think uh, for a global context, I mean, it's not as big in the U S as it is excuse me around the rest of the world is the, the president's cup and the Ryder cup. Well, so like that's a thing will have there. They, uh, that was the other aspect of this. I forgot to mention, which is that they are not allowed to play on the president's cup or the Ryder cup teams. The seven, none of the that's 17 huge. golfers like, are not, <laughs> which DJ would, would have been on the team. Uh, Bryson easy. probably was going to be on the team. And even with Bryson's injury stuff right now, he probably was going to, you know, was probably going to take one of those last spots. I think he's just going to have to, and now he's not going to be in the president's cup team, which is fine for the U S I mean, Hell, the top five golfers in the world, I'm pretty sure, are outside of John Rahm, so four of the top five are all Americans. 
you know, and with guys yeah. like Homa playing as good a golf as he is, as he's now in the top I love 20 that guy, please don't go. <laughs> no, he's, he's not going to go. He's not going to go. He's been very public about his, his thing. The other last thing here I'll mention before we take a break. Uh, what a year for the drive to survive style documentary series that Netflix is doing about the PGA tour to start. <laughs> yeah. Because no all of this is being documented on the Netflix series that will be coming out probably like next, uh, probably this next is, January, I think. Is this like a hard knock sort of thing? Yeah. So the drive to survive was the F1 show that everybody freaked out about oh, the guy yeah, who went yeah, into F1 right. and they're doing the same thing following the PGA tour and the access like Jay, uh, Dustin Johnson was one of the guys who had access. Uh, Bryson was not on the list. Thank God. Um, but there was a lot of big time golfers. Rory's on that list too. Like it's going to be fat. Home is another one who's on that. List. It's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of awesome moments, but just, again, we're going to get a chance to be a bit of a fly on the wall here in the, in probably the next like seven or eight months once January rolls around. So, all right, quick break, come back. We're going to wrap up the show with our top five contextualized beers. We'll explain what that means on the other side. All right. This is now going to be part of our summer tradition, just like every other sports talk radio or just talk radio show when we're looking for shit to talk about, but Ranking stuff is just objectively fun. And I'm sorry if people think that's boring or whatever. It's just objectively fun. So just hang along for the ride because I promise we're going to do some fun stuff with this. All right. Uh, today we're doing top five contextualized beers. So it's a beer that you are having or drink that you're having in a specific situation. So like a blank beer, you know, like I'm doing this and having a beer and we are ranking those. All right. So Scotty, you go first. Give us your number five to one. I'll give my five to one, and then we'll talk about our honorable mentions afterwards. Okay, number five for me, an airport beer or airplane, airport mm. beer. I just love sitting down there. At, you know, when you, you know you're traveling, you're going somewhere, uh, you get to the airport. After you get through security, the first thing you look for is a beer, and you have a nice beer before you get on the plane. Relax you a little bit. You have some on the plane, and yeah, you're in vacation mode, baby. That's a good one. That's, that's a very good one, especially with the anticipation of it. It's exactly. like, all right, I've done my duty. I'm at the airport. You've accomplished something. And now you're like, all right, now I can have a beer before just nothing but vacation or a good time ahead of you. Good, good yeah. first, good first pick. All right. Number four. Number four for me is week one of football. Mm. Week one. When you, when you open up the season, you got a whole 12 to 18 games ahead of you, depending on whether you're watching college or NFL and it's, it's a, it's a magical week. It's the, it's the start of a new slate and uh, you know, who knows how many hundred beers you'll drink after, after that point for the next four months. It's a good one. It was on, it was on my list. Didn't make my top five, but it was on my list. All right. Uh, number three, number three is a ballpark beer. Ooh, just, I mean, there's nothing like sitting out in the sunshine watching a ball game and having a, a ballpark beer, even though they're overpriced. Uh, it doesn't matter, man. You're out there having a good time with your buddies, uh, drinking cold beer on a hot day. The crack of the bat. Oh, yeah. The whole, know, all of it. Yeah. Smell of popcorn and hot dogs. Yeah. Cracker it's, Jack. Oh, yeah. I don't care kit. if I ever get back. Mini ice cream with, you know, mini helmets with helmet. ice cream yeah. in it. <laughs> yeah. That's, great, that's a great call. That might be a future one. Best ways to eat ice cream. Oh, I like that. Uh, number two for me is a, a porch beer or a deck beer. Mm, uh, another one that was on my list. In the sunshine or the sunset, doesn't matter which. Uh, just having a beer, uh, 
drink with, with the person that, uh, or people that you value the most. Uh, I, for one, like to sit out on our porch with my wife and, and watch the sunset, uh, on the West, uh, with a couple of drinks and, and hanging out there with her. Listen, some good, some good tunes. I was going to say, that's like, cause this yeah. was, cause we talked about the w- windows down theory last or last on the last pod. And, uh, that that was one that again was heavily considered by me. Didn't quite crack my top five, but was definitely in consideration. And uh, number one overall for me uh, is a. I kind of grouped this together. I said a beach or a, or any waterfront uh, beer because mm. <clears throat> you're just sitting there. Uh, you're looking at the fr- water in front of any body of water, looking at it, whether you're fishing or. Uh, or just sitting there enjoying the waves and, and, and the sunshine. There's something uh, very copacetic, right? There's yeah. like something artsy and just like, and I, you know what I would even add to that too? Cause we used to do this in college. Cause we didn't really have any bodies of water in the middle of the Shenandoah Valley mountains. Anytime you, you pull over on like a scenic road, right? Maybe you have some beers in the back of the car. You sit up on top of the, of the hood of your car or on top yeah. of the, you know, the top and you're sitting there ride. drinking <laughs> beers, watching the sunset over the mountains. Yeah, there's something when you're staring off into nature. I agree. I think water's better, but when you're staring off into nature and you're having a drink, there's just some. There's that's a good list. Yeah, that's a good list. Thank you. Mine, mine's. I get a little more specific in mine. Interesting. Um, All right, what do you got for five? So number five, I have the first shotgun of a night of drinking. Okay, so you're a big shotgunner. I'm, I'm a, not anymore. I'm, I'm a big shotgunner. It was my party party trick in high school or in college. Sorry college i legitimately didn't shotgun until i got to college i was very good at it and i was mm-hmm. saying this on memorial day weekend i just want to be able to shotgun like one or two beers like every few months just to know i still have it so that way one day when i'm an adult visiting my kid at college i can whoop all the kids that are there and they'll be like holy shit who is this old man who just kicked our ass at shotgun because i love my dad shout out to my dad but one of my favorite memories of college was they came down parents weekend and we were supposed to go to football game and tailgate and it was downpouring rain. So we just did it at one of our friends' house and the, me and three of my best friends and my dad all shotgunned a beer and we were all done and down and like 10 seconds goes by and then my dad finished it. And we have it on video. So I just like, I'm Good determined Lord, to not Tommy be that G. guy. But, there's, but the other reason why I have that one too is like, if you shotgun multiple beers, the second one, you really start to feel like shit. Like you're just like, that was way too much liquid, way too fast. But the first one, you can get that shit down easy. It's, you know, and then you're good. It's like, it's a quick way to get a drink down. So the I first cross that threshold, Jeff, the first, <laughs> and who knows, I might, by the time I'm 30, I, I might not be saying the same thing, but for now I'm, I'm still holding on to that. Um, so the first shotgun of the night is nine, number five, number four, the grilling beer. Oh, your man in the grill. Right. You got yeah. the music playing. God, on the back that's deck, a good one. Right. You flip up the hood. You're checking just, you know, the little, you flip the burger up. Zach, someone asks you how long and needs a little more time. Close the hood up again. That beer while grilling. Yeah. Oh, that's a great pull. Speaking of hoods, uh, op- like working on your car beer. That's a good one too. That'd be another good one. Yeah. I'm not a tech. I'm not like a tech. I'm like a car guy. So that one doesn't apply as much to me, but that's, what's great about this is because it kind of fits whatever your top five beers would be, but I can definitely yeah. see, Oh, that's uh, a good I would one. say um, <clears throat> another one that's not on my list. Uh, actually I'll save that one for, um, uh, for honorable mentions afterwards. Um, all right. So that's, that was my number four, the wild grilling beer. It's a great beer. Number three, the post lawn cut beer, right? Especially if you grew up like me where I had a push mower 
And then even in my uh, house yeah. now where we had push mowers, anytime you're out, and even if you have a rotting mower, you got the grass stains on your shoes and on your socks. You smell like gasoline. You smell sweaty mm-hmm. and gross, but you yep. accomplish something, right? You, you cut your whole lawn. It looks good. And you come into the air conditioning in the summer and you just crack open that beer before you get in the shower. And it is so, just an A plus feeling. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable, well, you, you've hit almost two of them on my, on my uh, honorable mentions, but I, I didn't put that one and it's on my list uh, of possible, uh, you know, picks for this, but I usually have a beer while I'm mowing the lawn. So the post lawn mowing beer isn't a thing. It's like, I've already been drinking. <laughs> I would get like, I would get too dehydrated though with a push mark. Cause like during oh, COVID yeah. I had to, I had to push and, and mow our whole lawn. And you've seen like our lawn, like it's a lot, it's sneaky big. Right. And it was a yeah. push mower. Yeah. It was an electric mower. So we had to have two extension cords that were crazy long that oh, were dear. taped up together. <laughs> you had to pull uh. it out when you wanted to do the other side and plug it into an outdoor outlet. It was a whole, whole thing. It would take me like two and a half hours and you're pushing the whole time. Now, if you have a riding mower, then I highly encourage the beer, but there's something about like the integrity of like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to sure. earn myself a beer. Like earning yourself a beer is a really good one. Um, 100%. Number right, two number, for number me, two. the first beer of a bachelor party. Oh, that's on my list. dude. Um, I originally had it first beer of a bachelor party or a vacation, right? Cause if you're driving somewhere or you're traveling somewhere, Basically, when you get to a destination and you know you're going to be drinking and relaxing for and the it's next like, all seven right. days, that first oh, one, okay. you, carry, you carried all your bags in, whatever you needed. You did all, everything, all the food, whatever you have. And then it's like- All your greetings. Yep. You said hi to everyone. Let's get into it, boys. And then it's like, <laughs> we're getting after it. And when I go up to the beach house in next week, it's going to be the same thing. I'm going to walk through the door. I'm going to see my family, see around. And I guarantee you, my dad's going to be like, after 10, 15 minutes of me being there, need beer? Questions always yes. Are the answers? Minutes? Yes. That seems long for Tommy. Well, because I got to get all my shit in. It usually takes a couple trips, you know. Um, all right. And then my number one beer is the post beach happy hour slash outdoor mm. shower beer. Okay. Because, and that's, this is a specific one, but when you are at a beach town or at, live in a beach house, you have an outdoor shower there, right? So you walk in from the beach before you go inside, you rinse off, you have a, you finish up the beer that you had walking back from the beach. But that's then before, before you take your full shower, right? You just rinse the sand off of you that like sitting on the back deck, you're still in your beach clothes. You're still a little bit Sandy, you know, and you crack open a beer, typically a Corona with lime. That beer is just like the quintessential, like relaxing. It's a, it kind of combines number three and number two and that like you're still in vacation mode. So you're getting that. But then also like you sat out in the sun all day, you're kind of sweaty. You didn't really earn anything by sitting on the beach all day. But yeah, so that's my number one. The post beach happy hour shower slash outdoor shower beer is, uh, good. is a top tier for number one for me. All right. Honorable mentions. As we uh, as we wrap up here, uh, you hit two of mine. Uh, so I'll start at the bottom. Eleven was, uh, and this is specific to anyone who's listening who lives away from their family. The first beer you get to have when you travel to visit your family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so every time I go back to San Francisco, I'll go to my bar and and we'll hang out with my family and friends. Swing by and uh, and we're there. That's that's a great beer. Great beer. At uh, ten, I had the uh, the first bachelor party beer which you just mentioned uh and sort of comboed with 
another one of yours at number nine is a shower beer, just in general, any shower beer, just a shower beer. I see. I yeah. think honestly, I think shower beers are overrated unless it's an outdoor shower. And that's why I put it. I, I didn't have it on higher on the list. Like uh, that's 100%. a, that's like a, I feel about shower beers the same way I feel about like Kyrie Irving. Like I just do not touch. Like I just don't <laughs> need you. I wouldn't pay you any money. I don't want Great you on comp. my team. Great just, comp. Let somebody else, <laughs> let somebody else drink you or, or, or pay you that contract Kyrie slash yeah. shower beer. No doubt. And so three more I have uh, that were outside looking in that almost made the list, but didn't number eight, the fantasy football draft beer. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one, right? Yeah. It's a and very then, good uh, one. Seven. I had lawn mowing and six is uh, on the golf course, but the first one you have on the golf course, uh, which is why I didn't make the list because it didn't persist across the, uh, the entirety of the round. So it's interesting because I have a similar one in, in my honorable mentions in terms of uh, golf, which is the after the second hole on the way to the third hole beer, because that is your first. <laughs> That's usually beer. when I crack the first. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You don't drink it on the first or second hole. It's all right. No. We played two holes. You feel out how you're no. playing already, <laughs> especially if it's like a 10 a.m. tea time. You're like, am I really going to start drinking at like 945 as we're getting ready to tee off? It's like, no, get a couple holes under you. And then you look over and you're like, hey, why don't we grab a beer from the cooler, right? And then you go back and you grab a beer. So that's that's a good call. We were lined up there. Uh, I also had that one on my list. Here's one I had. the uh, And this one's kind of combined with another one, the one I was talking about but didn't say. The post-shower after doing anything physical beer, right? So if at, at any time, oh, yeah. this kind of goes into my number one, but at any time you're like sweaty or you've worked out or you've done something, played softball, you know, and then you go and you shower, and then you're clean and your hair's a little wet and you put on clean clothes and you reach into the fridge and it's that like, I've deserved this kind of thing. Refreshing. Yeah. That's, that's a good beer. Uh, I would say any sort of workshop or woodworking, anytime you're working around yeah. the house, you're fixing that was, something. That was there. That was you, there on the list. But again, but it's when you, pick it. it's when you finish, because if you're working on something, whether it's woodworking or fixing something in your house, you can't drink during that because, or at most you can only have a little bit. Cause yeah, you just can't be, you can't be drunk when you're doing that. You're operating, you know, saws and sanders. Yeah. Power, yeah. Any sort of power tools still, still no, no power tools. It's my <laughs> toothbrush. Um, so that was one on my list. And, uh, yeah, and then the second and third hole one. So those that's my list. That's all I had for honorable mentions. Um, if you have any other ones, feel free to reach out at Jeff Gimple, uh, Jeff underscore, underscore Gimple on social media. Um, and of course, at Read Option Pod uh, on all of our social platforms as well. All right, that's all we got. Everybody enjoy game four for your sake and for NBA fans' sake. Go Warriors. Please go, Warriors. Uh, we will fill you in on how the golf goes tomorrow. I expect to sweep and kick everybody's ass. Breaking okay. 80 tomorrow. I'm calling it out. Breaking 80 tomorrow. It's happening. All right. All right. So uh, for the boys, Scotty, Vito, we love you. We'll see you tomorrow. Everybody, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll talk to you guys on Tuesday. Take it easy, everybody. <laughs>